This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. I want to start by acknowledging that we are on uh, traditionally Tonkawa territory, and that our being here is um, was made possible by um, a lot of murder, um, and uh, to hold the um, implications and responsibility that that creates. Um, as the current the current occupants, you know, and also um, that this practice that we're doing is uh, over two thousand years old, two and a half thousand years old, and that it was the inception and the formulation and the particularities of it came from India and China and Japan. Uh, before they were even called India, China, and Japan, you know. And um, there are a lot of uh, um, developments made that we uh, are the um, inheritors of. Um, and to hold the... Um, responsibility and implications of that as well. Uh, last week, oh, uh, Mako, who's who's the head teacher here uh, and was scheduled to give the talk, has been ill for like a week. Um, so I've been kind of the only person of the cloth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, doing all the ceremonial functions this week. So I was asked last night to give a talk. Um, but last week I gave a talk as well. And um, I talked about, um, and it'll be available online if you weren't here, I talked about religious authority and spiritual gaslighting. And um, I want, you know, the difficult thing about giving a talk in this setting is that everybody's in here together regardless of how long you've been practicing or regardless of whether you've taken it on as a practice or not. So, you know, to think that, um, you know, you're excited to learn about meditation and you go to the beginner's instruction and then you come here and someone sits down and starts kind of talking about all of the potential for power abuse in religion... You know, and then they're like, Jesus, like, what did I walk into? You know, what, what happened here? You know, um, uh, and so it could be a little bit, uh, and, and if you've been a practitioner for a while, it might be very, very potent and relevant for you. I got, I got feedback of both, you know, um, I got like, wow, that was like, like, you know, that's a talk that a lot of people should be giving, you know, and I want to use my position to try to um, correct um, correct uh, uh, abuse and and misunderstandings and oversights to the degree that I can you know um, someone said uh, 
One of the conversations that I had after the talk was someone using talking about the term uh, white privilege or male privilege or something like that and saying that, you know, it feels like original sin. It feels like there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm like, well, wh well, actually, what you can do about it is just like any other karma, you know, it's not, it may not be your fault, you know? And we were talking about it, I'm like, you didn't, you didn't tell Hernan Cortez to conquer Tenochtitlan. You know, you didn't, you maybe didn't participate. I mean, not maybe, you didn't participate in the Atlantic slave trade, you know. And you're born into a situation where this is the cultural inheritance, you know. By looking like this, I have um, greater ease standing up to power. There are, there, are, there are less repercussions for me than there would be for somebody else. So there's a responsibility in there, and, that, and that's where, instead of original sin, seeing it as original responsibility. You know, instead of being born with sin, I'm born with an um, opportunity to use the place that wrongdoings put me to try to correct them, you know, in conversation all the time. And the motivation for the talk, from a practice point of view, from a meditator's point of view, was to try to return everybody to their own innate wisdom. You know? and, and because one of the opportunities that's provided, because so many people in this country are so starved of the identity, the cultural and spiritual identity that at some point was taken away from you. You know? Um, even if you're a very, even if you're a Mayflower American, something religious, spiritual, something of your, eth something of your ethnic identity is, has been impacted by, by, by living in this modern American world. And everybody has all of these different, I want to say, use one teaching story, you know. At Sarusawa Pond, so this is, comes from a poem from Japan. At Sarusawa Pond, when you clap your hands, the birds scatter. At Sarusawa Pond, when you clap your hands, the carp come thinking that you're going to feed them. Yeah. At Sarusawa Pond, when you clap your hands, the server come thinks, thinking that you've asked for tea. Yeah. So this one activity has such multifaceted meaning for everybody that's coming into contact with it based on the conditioning that's been laid down in their mind. Yeah. And so the way that this is relevant in, in relating to power, you know, someone in a power-up position from you might not have a malicious intention, you know, but they could be off the mark because of the, how different their experience of, of, of being a person has been, you know. And in the first generation of um, European Americans becoming empowered to teach, um, it's interesting because you see, as the longer that Buddhism exists in America, the longer it takes 
the, the more the more strictures there is in getting that platform. You know, nowadays it could take you thirty years to get the platform where anyone's ever going to listen to you. Um, I'm at eighteen right now. You know, um, and this is the only place where anyone listens to me. <laughs> um, so I'm practicing for eighteen years uh, now. If I would have gotten to San Francisco Zen Center with Suzuki Roshi and I would have practiced for 18 years, I would have been the head of the whole thing, you know, back in the day, because there were so, so fewer people, you know? And actually, if you look at, there's, if there's these old pictures of Sokoji, the, 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 the original temple in San Francisco, it is all middle-aged women practicing with Suzuki Roshi. You know, and I knew some of them because they were still alive when I was when I was at San Francisco Zen Center when I was in my early twenties. You had Della Goritz and Betty Warren, and and it was kind of like, um, you know, empty nesters, yeah. Uh, and um, but for some reason, the leader, the early leadership of San Francisco Zen Center, was kind of these young bucks that rode into Tassajara on their Harleys. You know, <laughs> after they went to the after they went to the Monterey Pop Festival or whatever, you know. So, um, uh, so the point of that, why, why would I mention that? Um, so someone could be an authority and you got to question how they got there. You know, the second abbot after Suzuki Roshi at San Francisco Zen Center, he'd been practicing for six years when he became abbot, when people were calling him Roshi, which means old teacher. He was 36 years old and he'd been practicing for six years. And he's still a teacher. He's still alive and teaching in the U.S. So you got to look at what, what, what people put in before you sign on, this is the teacher and I need to listen to them. You know? Um, so that's something that I wanted. And even if they've been practicing for a million years, does their experience have anything to do with what your life has been? You know? Like, I, I could say, oh, I've been practicing for X amount of years, but like, my, um, the life that I've lived might not have anything to do with the life that you've lived, and the suffering that you've endured might have no counterpoint in the suffering that I've endured. You know, there might be absolutely no comparison. So why would you listen to me? You know, so to empower yourself to be able to have that kind of discernment, just because someone has the outfit doesn't mean that you have to um, regard everything they say as, as um, true. So it's kind of, so to start to look at teachers and teachings, um, and this is interesting because sometimes we say, don't use Buddhism to benefit yourself. I would say, use Buddhism to benefit yourself. Shakyamuni Buddha didn't, didn't abandon his family to care for all beings. He abandoned his family because he had a little bee in his bonnet about why we suffer and he wanted to do something about it. About why he suffered and he wanted to do something about it. You know? So, use, what, use your teachers for what you can and know where you can't. You know? Know where it's amiss. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to say that um, as a kind of corrective measure because sometimes my biggest fear about myself is is that I grew up the youngest child in a family so this is karma impacting who you who you are you know 
I grew up the youngest child in the, in the family, and I was the entertainer, you know? And part of entertaining is going for the punchline rather than for accuracy. <laughs> you know, comedians do this all the time. You've got to generalize in order to make things funny. So I'll say things like, all these jokers, blah, 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 you know, and, and, these, and these generalizations, you know. And so there's these shortcomings in every time that I try to go for the punchline rather than for accuracy. Because if I went for accuracy all the time, it would be a lot less entertaining. You know, God forbid. Um, so my biggest fear about myself is, is my, uh, how hyperbolic I can get. So I have to go back. I have to listen to the talk and be like, oh, no. You know, and go back and revisit it and try to correct it. And ask your mercy. Um, That being said, I'm curious what people would like to know about. I always have this fantasy, and I never quite get to do it because I always have this preamble that ends up becoming a talk unto itself. But I always wanted to sit down and be like, what's up? You know, what's up for you? What are you interested in? What do you want to hear about? Um, And I find that um, the less time I have to develop and synthesize a teaching, um, the more kind of authentically and helpful something can come out, you know? Yeah. Because that thing about that sarusawa pond, you know, that clap of the hands, the carp come, the fish scatter, the server brings tea... You know, how due to our karmic conditioning, due to the impressions made in our mind from beginningless time, your consciousness has been through so much from beginningless time, it reacts to stimulants in different ways. You know? And when those ways become habitual and unconscious, that's when suffering begins. And that's when you begin to impact those around you negatively by having unconscious reactions to what's stimulating you. That's delicious. That's beautiful. That's to be avoided. That person's dangerous. You know, um, and to think that just because you thought something that it's true, you know, our notions are not visible to us as notions. Our beliefs are not visible to us as beliefs. When they arise, they arise as the truth. You know, and you can think, well, I used to be mistaken, but now I know. Yeah, taking it for granted that the moment that you're living right now is going to be your past in the future. You know, and you could want a lot of grace for yourself. You know, well, why is somebody beating me up for that? That was ages ago. You know, but however anyone is at this moment will soon be ages ago. (laughs) You know, so to be gracious with them, know that you're talking, um, you're talking to someone at uh, both their oldest point and actually uh, a young point. You know, because everybody's going to continue developing. We often take the present moment as the final product, but the present moment is just the beginning of the next present moment. Yeah. And, that's, and that's Buddha's whole deal. It's like, look at, look at the long arc of this and begin coordinating your life from where you're sitting right now. The life that you want to have, the mind that you want to have. If there's a mind that you want to have, don't be like, well, this is the mind I ended up with. Be like, no, actually, the mind that you have is made out of your actions and intentions, you know, in the past. And when is the past? It's right now. 
so um, yeah I'm gonna stop giving a talk and I want to hear what's on people's minds yeah well I uh, have been struggling with the environmental situation mm-hmm. in the world and so I was reading some Joanna Macy last night and one of the quotes that I remembered was love what is mm-hmm. and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about yeah. that yeah 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 um, there is a you know if we if we assume that evolution is true let's pretend like evolution is true Um, there's a part of our brain that's actually the fastest part of it one of the fastest parts of our brain that's back here and it's near the stem sometimes they call it the reptilian brain and it's actually scanning um, scanning our environment to see uh, where the food is and where the threats are Basically, mostly those two things. Scanning the environment, you see where the food is and where the threats are. And, um, and there's not a lot of language that our minds are using, not a lot of concepts around all of those impulses. You know? And so it's not very... On an, on an evolutionary level, it's not in a person's best interest to enjoy things. In terms of your in terms of your survival, you know, like let's say you, you know, I don't I don't I don't know anything about like the early early human history, so I'm I'm gonna probably get there's a bunch of be it's, this is probably gonna be like anachronistic, but like if you're trying to figure out where the berries are and you're trying to like dodge like you know some kind of saber toothed tiger or something like that, you know, it's not it's not in your best interest to be like, isn't this nice? You know, if you were the, all the all the all of our ancestors that thought, "Isn't this nice?" were the people that got ate. You know, if you took the time to enjoy something, if you let your guard down, it, it could it could be uh, a, a kind of a disaster for you. And when we see animals enjoying things, yeah, it's interesting. It's a lot, we see more a lot of uh, like cats seem to kind of enjoy things, but we kind of domesticated that into them. We wanted them to be like us. We wanted them to live the life that we couldn't. <laughs> so we made them little beds. <laughs> it's like, at least somebody should get this. <laughs> so um, we made it this far through hypervigilance. You know? And it's interestingly whether, and, and that hypervigilance is so hardwired that we're doing it even when we don't have to. You know? You ever you ever feel like you're late for something when you're not? You know, this is a weird thing. Or you wake up from a nap and you feel guilty like you've done something wrong. You know, and it's like who who tricked me into thinking I have to be performing all the time? You know, and it's like that that kind of survival mode of the mind. So part of what we need to part of the the shift that we need to do as humans living in this age is. Not to, I'm not telling you to not be hypervigilant. That might still not be in your best interest, you know, in certain ways. 
But to learn how to register um, joy, and that's part of the part of the um, um, psychophysical practice of meditation, to just like relax all of the agendas, you know, so that kind of the nectar of being a person is visited, you know. Um, so, we're all going to die, you know, and, and like all kinds of gnarly shit's going to happen, right? And, um, and it sucks and we should do something about it, you know, and we should speak truth to power. And when like the senator is like, I'm no scientist, but climate's always been changing or something like that, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, figure out how to promote voices in the room to the contrary, you know, um, and the limitations of orthodox means, um, uh, you know, thinking that we can influence an industry that, that profits off of destroying the earth to not destroy the earth, you know. Um, and there's a little bit like, well, what are you going to do? No, I mean, just, just a little bit. Like, not like, what are you going to do, but kind of like, um, why, would there, why would there be a world in the first place? You know, to, just to counteract this perspective in a little bit. You know, to just be like, this is like a zero-sum game. That I got to do anything was a miracle. You know, that I got to even have the concept that I'm here. Is like, no one, there, that, that was, why should I be guaranteed that? You know, why should humans live on Earth forever? You know, why should Earth have the ecosystems that it currently has in, in an enduring way? So to, so to temper, you know, do everything, you know, it's just like your own life. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to have a pleasant and long life, but I know this is going to end. You know? And human life on this planet is going to end. You know, if you believe that we're not the point of the planet and that we're not the chosen ones, you know. Um, so, to, so to temper the, that so that it doesn't become an anxiety, because if it becomes an anxiety that hinders your appreciation of life, then what's the point of a world in the first place? You know, so the joke's kind of on you. You know, it's like, the world's going to end... So how can you relax until you save it? And then it's like, well, what are you saving it for? So that we can enjoy life. You know, it's a little bit cart before the horse. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Satisfied? Yeah. 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 Uh, earlier during our sit, you told me to not do the things I was doing, like counting my breath and uh, taking my mind away from a distraction back to my breath. Yeah. Instead, I just sort of sat there and I still ended up uh, distracting myself and so on. Um, but I just told myself that was okay, like you said. But uh, can you expand more on what you said? And what should I be doing? <laughs> what should I be doing? Yes, yes tell me. <laughs> well, since I got here first, and I'm sitting on a higher seat, you should probably listen. Um, see this? 
This means I'm God. <laughs> um, well, how was your experience of uh, reacting? Well, how, 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 what was it like? So to recap, for those of you that weren't at the morning set, I sat down and I gave encouraging words, which are sometimes counterproductive. <laughs> we used to joke, Coach used to call them discouraging words. Um, but everybody was sitting and I did that, the Zen teacher thing of like kind of steering, setting an intention at the beginning of the period. And I said, you know, you don't have to perform in any particular way. You don't have to count your breath. You don't have to clear your mind. Just feel what it's like to have a body right now. You know? Because I think our disposition, our state right now, is not... Our problem is not that we haven't figured out the yogic way of getting enlightened. Our problem is that we uh, need to heal. You know, and we need to heal from uh, a vigilant, um, the subtle trauma that's created by having an agenda for yourself where you're never adding up, you know, and, uh, and our practice can become another venue of having an agenda for yourself where you're never adding up. And one of the main things that I hear in private interview when people come to me and they talk about their experience of sitting zazen is that, like, I'm so distracted, my mind is crazy, and, it's, and it feels like a lot of kind of self-criticism and self-hate going on, you know? Even that term, that term, like, when they, in Buddhism, when they talk about the monkey mind or something like that, the mind that, you know, your stupid mind that's leaping from place to place. I'm like, actually, that might have been helpful for someone at some point, but I don't know how good that is for us. You know, I don't, I don't need you to tell me that my mind isn't good enough. I, I want to tap into a kind of um, settling and stabilizing and relaxing flow of my, of my body-mind as it is right at this moment. Not that I have to meet some kind of tear, you know. So my motivation for saying, you don't have to count your breath. It's to just get us to just like relax for once instead of achieve relaxation. You know, achieving relaxation is a little bit of a setup. You know, achieving stabilization is a little bit of a setup. It comes by way of, of no agenda. Sorry, I wanted to know what your experience of it was, and then I started talking about what it should be. So there we, I fell into the trap. But so what was it like for you? Was it oh, frustrating? Or, no, no. So uh, I like experiments. So I did yeah. an experiment. I tried what you said, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it was... Uh, it was very, uh, in a way, freeing and liberating because yeah. I, I, you know, I just didn't have to do anything. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then, of course, at some point, uh, you know, I started swimming back uh, into the pool of my own thoughts, and then, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and I know that that's not a bad place to be. Like I'm allowed to be there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the, the whole going back to the breath thing is just noticing and then going back without any guilty feelings. Just yeah. sort of noticing this is where I am right now, and this is where you know, let's mm-hmm. go back from like my own mind to like my own senses. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but, yeah, uh, but there, was this, there was this brief moment of probably a few minutes uh, where um, where I, I I just was and that yeah. Was cool. yeah it's an interesting thing it's kind of like um, the way I think about our practice this this just sitting thing it's kind of like being if you were like if you imagine like the prison guards that are in the towers so you're like a prison guard in a tower except there um, there's no fences or walls. 
and the inmates are allowed to go wherever they want and do whatever they want, and you don't have a gun. But you still got to watch. <laughs> you know? Or it's like being a uh, nature photographer, but you don't have a camera. You know? Or being an uh, anthropologist that is not working on a project right now, but you're in the field. You know? So you're doing field research for no result at all. You know? And you're not collecting data. You know, but you're just there watching it, you know, and there's this thing that happens when you actually show up to experience your life that um, it makes it like, like you're alive, you know, and that freedom is this physical experience of having, you know, as soon as we have a desire for life to be a certain way, there's some kind of tension that arises somewhere in our physicality, you know. So you can go at it either way. You can approach your tension through the mind or you can approach your mind through relaxing all of your tension. You know? Um, but uh, to use... And, 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 that, and that description, that, that gesture, that, that intention is not done in and of itself. You know, it's not like... That's not the final word. You know, but that's just like, let's do that right now and see what it's like. And there's different modes of sitting that we have to do throughout all times. And that's this class that I'm doing that started uh, yesterday. I'm going to talk about the kinds of Zen, because often people don't talk to us about the kinds of Zen. There's a kind of Zen where you arouse great doubt. There's a kind of Zen where you develop distilled concentration. There's a kind of Zen, there's Nembutsu Zen, where you just in, rely on... Amida Buddha, which is kind of like devotion. It's kind of like bhakti. It's kind of like relying on God, you know? And um, it's kind of, you know, you need different things at different times depending on what your mental predisposition is. It's like drugs, really. Not that I've ever done them. But, um, you know, if your mind is inclined towards negativity or self-hate or something like that, and you take a psychedelic like psilocybin mushrooms or LSD, you're gonna, your mind's going to go into a negative... Your mind may very well go into a negative place. And if you take... Oh, I'm saying this in front of like high school kids. <laughs> there are other drugs where there's a... There's a where your mind... It, 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 it doesn't really take your mind into a negative place. It takes your mind into a positive place. The cool thing about meditation is that you could do that, do the meditation instead. But like, so something like a devotional practice, it brings your mind towards a more, um, if you feel like you need a little bit of grace, you can do a practice that gives you a little bit of grace. You know, like I have a lot of friends that suffer from really bad chronic anxiety and depression where like every conversation you have is just like, I, I almost killed myself today, you know? And to talk to people that are on that, that are walking that line where everything, where just being alive is exhausting, you know? And to be like, there's no inherent existence of a self from your own side, and there's no good or evil in the world or something like that. It's actually really terrifying for them. You know, you need a little bit of... Uh, structure to rely on you need to believe that like there is a god and he loves you you know and that is a yo that is a 
That is a pragmatic yogic necessity sometimes to believe that there is just like grace in the world, you know, because everything's a matter of a point of view. You know, you could talk about divinity and you could say, well, Buddhism doesn't really talk about divinity. But what is divinity apart from just looking at this network of functioning that's happening in the planet and believing that I can be supported by it and that it's and that it can be something good for me? You know, it's not it's not um, it's not uh, foolish to approach your life in a way that causes benefit for yourself. You know? So you don't have to do emptiness meditation all the time. You don't have to do concentration meditation all the time. You know, sometimes it's a matter of just sitting there and touching what's inside with some tenderness. You know? And I think for most of us, that might be more important than a lot of concentration practice and a lot of emptiness practices. You know? We're pretty disembodied if I can speak for a lot of us. We're pretty disembodied, and we're pretty... Uh, uh, a lot about the way that we live today is, is a little bit of a mistake. You know? Zipping around on scooters from appointment to appointment, and then living in a box where no one talks to you at night. You know? And all of your interactions are via this like luminous rectangle that's like in your pocket all the time. You know? Um, it's, uh, I remember when I was little, my, um, you know, my, my dad, my dad dropped out of high school and he got, and he got a garbage route and my, and working class folks, the way, well, the way I was brought up was not like go to school. There was, there was no idea of like college or something like that. They kind of knew what college was and they kind of thought, yeah, that's probably good, but I don't know what the hell that is. It sounds expensive, you know? Um, and so that so the, what I was taught growing up when I was like in high school age, it was just kind of like, find a job that has health insurance and retirement and never leave it and do whatever they say. You know, that was my working class Sicilian upbringing, you know? And so... My dad dropped out of high school, got a job, went to the Navy, and then got out and then came back. And, and he was a garbage man all of his life. And um, he tried to, and when he got a management position, he took the management position. And he gave us this little kind of suburban house of this uh, three-bedroom, two-bath house. And he kind of moved us away from the city, you know. And my sister... And we had two cars, which was a thing, you know. Uh, my mom and dad both had a car, which was amazing, you know. And my sister went to go visit with one of her friends. This is in rural California, rural central California. My sister went to go visit her friend that lived in a, like a migrant working camp, you know. Like, so like right on the fields, all of these little houses in a row. And she went to go play with her friend there. And she came back and she's like, can we go live there? You know, and my, and my parents are kind of like, everything that we're doing is to try to make it so that you don't have to live there, you know. But there's something about all of your houses together and everybody functioning as one family, which we're very, very, very far from, which I think causes a lot of subtle anxiety in our systems, you know. 
they did this study of this Italian city, uh, Italian-American, but this Italian-American enclave in Pennsylvania, this little tiny town in Pennsylvania, and, and um, there was no heart disease. Everybody was living long lives. Everybody was really, really happy. And it's like, well, what are you guys eating? And they're like, we're eating lasagna every day. You know, we're eating carbs on carbs on carbs and with cheese on it, you know? And they're like, well, what's the secret? And then they're like, we're all one big family. You know, and there's no anxiety in, in that, you know. Um, and actually, and it's not all bliss. Like having, a, having one big family can make you kind of emotionally resilient because you learn how to adapt to people being good and bad and being yours for good or for worse, you know. But so I think that being, you know, we're so, this is such a unique time in history in terms of what, what it means to be a person that I think you know, the, 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 the diagnosis of our condition has changed, so the remedy needs to change a little bit. So to just look at the ancient manuals and be like, concentration or something like that, or emptiness or something like that, it's like, how about rest? You know, how about feeling held by the world? How about, fe- how about acknowledging, you know, being aware and sensitive to positive interactions? You know, how about noticing, I like that person, you know, how about uh, um, appreciating, oh, like what, what are we going to do? Yeah, this is a weird thing, a modern thing, but you ever um, feel like because you can't, don't have money, you can't do something or like you're out of, you know, it's like, well, what are we going to do? I'm broke, you know, and, and the way our world has been set up is that doing things means buying things. You know, like, well, what are we going to do? Like, and I, and I, and even walking from point A to point B, I can't go on a walk and return empty-handed. I have to go get like Topo Chico or something to like make it a sensorial experience. If there's no transaction, nothing happened. Like, what am I going to do? Just go for a walk and look at trees and then come back? You know, like, what, what do I get out of that? You know? And even people, you know, and I think that's why people get so interested in things like, fly fishing or bird watching or something like that because it's a way to like do something that to trick you into doing nothing you know or meditation or smoking <laughs> you know like a smoke break like 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 you know you ever work, if you ever work in a if you ever are lucky enough to work in the service industry smoke break is this time where you have an excuse to just go stand there and it actually as toxic as it is, it makes you f- feel your body a little bit more. You're imbo- you know, you feel so disembodied. Even poisoning it makes you feel alive. That's why people cut themselves, you know? Yeah. And you get to talk to other smokers. You get to talk to other smokers. You get to bond. Someone asks you, you know, when, when does anyone else come and ask you for something? You know, oh, can I have a cigarette? Do you have a lighter? You know? Yeah. But even now, the, people have lighters on little draw cords. You ever see that? You're sitting at a bar and someone's like, you have a lighter? And they give it to you. And, the, and there's this like little, you know how like on a little spool, like on a lanyard, like, you know, it's like, don't walk away with that shit. You know? Yeah. Anyway, that was a long answer, but does that, does that make sense? Yeah. I find ways to talk about what I want to talk about regardless of what people ask. <laughs> yes. Yes. Without the 
weight of the karmas, mm -hmm. the karmic whatever that I've accumulated, mm -hmm. you know, with all the decades. I, I just keep thinking, am I, you know, it's like, do you have any suggestions for how we can tap into our beginner's mind? Mm -hmm. Other than, because, you know, I get up every morning to do my morning meditation, and mm -hmm. it's like, beginner's mind, okay, remember, many possibilities. Mm -hmm. But I would appreciate your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. So I think beginner's mind is kind of this interesting... So this is a phrase that we use in our school of Zen, this kind of beginner's mind, which means um, something like no fixed conclusions around things. And this is related to that thing about Sarasawapan. It's kind of like, you know, what does a clap mean? It means, well, it depends on who you are. You know, it depends on all of your lifelong conditioning, what a clap means, you know? So, and we can use beginner's mind... Uh, to kind of um, run interference on our feelings. And that's the shadow side of beginner's mind. You know, um, to uh, not let a feeling be felt because we're telling ourselves that we're duller than we are or something like that, you know. Um, there's this... Uh, episode that I talked about last week about this teacher that wrote a letter um, concerning abuse and he said and he said all of these kind of awful things kind of a lot of victim blaming in people that suffered abuse and he said but what do I know blah 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 you know and there's that way that, that kind of thanks for listening to my blah 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 what do I know I'm just you know after but he's someone that wields a lot of authority and was kind of pretending like he didn't you know so you do have wisdom and you do have intuition, and you do have skills that you've developed and skills that can continue to be developed in responding to your life. You know? And so to not let beginner's mind become a way to um, kind of relinquish that power and that responsibility. But, what it, but, but the accurate use, I would say, of beginner's mind is understanding this... Um, uh, that every truth that you can point at is a provisional truth, you know, is a temporary truth, you know. Um, try to say something, try to think of something that's not going to change. Try to think of a fact that you can say that is, that is actually going to be true in a million years. You know, very, very basic things. So sometimes people say the sky is blue. It's like, actually, there might not be a sky eventually. <laughs> you know, it might not be blue. You know, I'm this kind of person. You know, everything's, everything's, going, everything's going to shit. You know, so and so is mean. You know, my life is hard. I'm hungry. Everything is kind of a snapshot, a provisional, a provisional reality. So to so to sit in that space of in this storm, you know, it's kind of like trying to build a house in quicksand. 
you know, the way that the way that people usually the way that people usually go about their lives, you know, because there's not any kind of foundation that you can actually get rooted. You know, everything that you're banking on and betting on, I want this person to like me. I want to, I want this amount of money. I want this object. You know, I want this new thing. I want this job. If everything that you're banking on is shifting, like, like, uh, is quicksand still a thing? Do people know what quicksand is? We all watch Red Runner cartoons and stuff. You know, um, uh, and so Buddha's kind of thing is like, well, what, what, how do you find stability and ease without building kind of these houses of cards, you know, that are going to collapse with a breeze? Um, I was watching, so I had the joy of being in elementary school in the 80s. And if you're in elementary school in 1986, the, you may have, they may have like stopped everything everyone was doing and wheel in a, <coughs> uh, uh, um, a TV. We used to wheel, they used to have big TVs on these carts and there was like a seatbelt. They'd strap the TV in and they'd wheel it in and they'd plug it in and there's, you know, just a couple of channels and they turn on the news channel and they're like, hey everybody, a spaceship's about to take off. And all the kids are sitting there watching the spaceship take off, you know? And it's just like, and you hear the, yeah, and, and it's funny, if you watch it, all of the, everything's going great. It's like, engines are, and everything sounds like, and you know, the, the, and the professionals that you trust, you know, the men in suits with the headsets on, they go, engines are at 90%, everything, everything functioning well. And then all of a sudden, 1986, uh, we all watched live on the news because back then you had to watch everything live on the news. You know, you got to see things as they happen. Um, and, um, and then the spaceship just explodes and goes into pieces, you know? And it's not like, and it wasn't like Hindenburg. It wasn't like, oh, the humanity. It was kind of like, so we're trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> you, know? and you see, there was a spaceship there and then there's like smoke there, you know? And, and um, and uh, six or seven people died immediately, you know, must have. And so it's kind of like, that's what life is like. <laughs> you know? Well, life has that potential. You know, life has that potential. Suzuki Roshi said, it's like, uh, it's like getting on a boat. Uh, what does he say? Does anyone remember how this goes? It's like, oh, it's like, oh yeah, it's like getting onto a boat and setting sail, and it sinks. You know, it's yeah. and you know it's gonna, and you know it's gonna sink. You know, so what does that do to us? Does that make us totally, totally anxious? Or, um, you know, that kind of stale feeling at the end of a vacation where you're looking around and you know you have to leave, and it's actually not fun. You're kind of like, I don't want to leave. You know, there, it's not like, and you, there, well, treasure it. It's like, no, actually on the ride to the airport, you're not treasuring it. You know, you're bummed, even though you're still there. You know? So what Buddha's invitation is in this beginner's mind thing is to find a kind of still point of nourishment in yourself that has nothing to do 
with relying on contingent things. You know? And it has and the and it's and the reason that it's beginner's mind, because it has nothing to do with knowing anything. It has nothing to do with concepts and objects and realities. It just has to do with the felt experience of this nectar of existing being in your marrow and in your veins and in your flesh. And you just sit there and you just feel that. You know? And you can call it your essence, you can call it the Holy Spirit. You know, but it has nothing to do with knowing anything. Yeah. So, why, the way I approach beginner's mind is that I sit down and I think about um, thoroughly feeling. You know, and if it's a negative thing that I'm feeling, I have to feel it before it can move through me and be released. And then if it's a positive thing I'm feeling, I'm learning how to register positive things. You know? Does that make sense? Is that a long answer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to practice non-attachment to views and, and enjoying joy. I mm-hmm. went to a day of mindfulness about joy about a month ago, and since then I haven't looked at the news at all. But mm. um, <laughs> which has been great. It's been like, nothing happened. <laughs> And then yesterday there was a watch party for the debate, and yeah. I thought, like, should I be going because I want a certain candidate to win and I want mm. to know about it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't help with my existence knowing these things. <laughs> mm. So mm. is it okay to just opt out of knowing? Um, that is really up to you. It's really up to you. It depends on what the intersection of your interest and ease is and your feeling of responsibility is. And, that, and, I, and no one can tell you what that should be. You know? And does watching democratic debates in America in 2020 have a, a way of meeting or responding to um, responsibility? I don't really know. I'm, I'm like, kind of... I come from, like, the anarchist kind of worldview. So I'm kind of like, you know, whoever you vote for is going to be a capitalist. You know? Um, uh, so you're, we're kind of screwed already. You know, the, the system is not set up to benefit anybody. Um, it's, it's, it's meant to uh, make commerce out of all interactions. Um, so I don't feel like I'm letting down my moral obligations by not participating in contemporary American politics, you know, but there's still, so you got to find where your sweet spot is. What, what's meaningful and impactful to you, you know, speaking truth to power, you know, and what kind of education do you want? And having access to, having access to the peace of mind that can fortify you to do the work that you want to do in the world. You know, learning how to maintain access to that and learning how to make it a priority, but not at the expense of your functioning. You know, Um, because then there's a kind of um, that's a that's a very thin kind of bliss. It's a very thin. It's like um, NutraSweet, you know, Uh, it's uh, to have 
a, a um, well-being that's predicated on being isolated, you know, from stimulants, you know. Um, so the dance that we need to learn how to do is to figure out at what ratio, at what tempo, at what... Um, What's the word? At what sequence? At what sequence are we mixing a responsible human life that that moves towards ending suffering and ending systemic inequity? You know, and where we're fortified to do that work through having a relationship with just like the nectar of wonder and joy that's inside of us. You know, and just and and that's a dance that everybody has to do every single day. But when it becomes a little bit of this, and you don't, and it's not that you're bad. You'll find out on your own that this is very um, thin piece. You know, it's a very fragile piece. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can. You can. If it doesn't, you can. You know, uh, spar with me if you want. <laughs> you good? Yeah. What is the stick called? What is it for? And what kind of wood is it made out of? I don't know what kind of wood it's made of. This stick is called a kotsu. And kotsu means, I think, in an in a ancient... It's an ancient pronunciation. It might not be a contemporary pronunciation. But I've, I think it means bone. And uh, it's supposed to be a furled fern. And this comes from... Um, actually... Maybe warring states period China or earlier. If you were a person of authority, you had some kind of thing in your hand. This is pretty universal. In South America, yeah. they call him a boraton, mm -hmm. uh, leader of the household. Leader of the household. And the bigger they are, master of the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's the same concept. Yeah, and then in China, they, it was called a juyi. Uh, I don't know the tones, Yi, but Nyoi in Japanese. And it's shaped like a mushroom, wish-fulfilling mushroom. And it, and it sends spores of, of joy and well-being to people. But this is a furled fern. And actually, uh, when you're sitting zazen, this is what your spine looks like. Yeah. So your belly's out, and your, head, your ears are back over your shoulder, and your butt's kind of sticking out behind you. Kind of, kind of like a newborn baby when it walks. Yeah. Okay. Oh, not a newborn baby. Uh, a baby walking when when a baby first walks. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when a newborn baby. Walks, that's just Buddha, right? Takes three, takes seven steps, and yeah. I'm the master of the house. Okay. We're we're a little bit over time. Um, thank you so much. I hope that was worth your time and attention. Yeah.